Good morning, church. It's good to see you and be with you this morning as we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And as we look today at a famous passage, a famous story. In this story, the Pharisees ask a really important question, I think. And it's this Who is this man? Who is this man? This is a question that is still relevant today. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? Jesus is sometimes respected as a great teacher, uh, but not God. I think most people in our culture have a general uh, respect for Jesus. Some of the things he said, love your neighbor, serve the poor, these kinds of things, uh, but may not go so far as to believe that he is, in fact, divine. But I, I really think that C.S. Lewis uh, demolished this line of thinking in, uh, in Mere Christianity, a book he wrote over 50 years ago in this passage when he says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Our challenge this morning is to see Jesus not as we assume him to be, not as we've always thought of him, um, not from, from uh, the, our religious background or the cultural things that we know about Jesus, but to see him as he really is as he has revealed himself in his life through the Gospel of Luke, recorded here by Luke. And so to do that this morning, uh, we're, we're going to try to see this story through the eyes of several of the characters. We're going to talk about the, the Pharisees and try to see the, the story through their eyes. Uh, we're going to then look at the paralyzed man and his friends. Next, we'll see Jesus. And then lastly, we'll look at the crowds. Let's pray once more, and we'll dive in. Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning. I thank you for meeting us already in, in song and worship. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us. You continue to speak to our hearts. Lord, would we be open to what you have to say to us? We're, we're so distracted and so... Um, uh, we have so much going on, and, and we have so many things in our mind that would block us from hearing what you have to say to us. Um, the devil would love to come in and snatch the seeds uh, of truth um, and, and not let them sink deeply into our hearts and bear fruit. And so I just pray and beg that you would open our eyes, you would open our hearts, you would speak to our minds and to our, our lives as we need it. Lord, you know each life in here. You know what's, what's going on. Uh, you know the situations uh, as, as I do not. And so I pray that you would speak by your word um, and through your spirit. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. First, the Pharisees. The Pharisees. It says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there 
who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea, also from Jerusalem. This is the first time that we run into the Pharisees in the Gospel of Luke. The Pharisees were one of the separatist religious groups in Israel. Uh, they, they, they believed, they were not a, official religious leaders, but they were uh, kind of a, a more radical uh, separatist group. They believed that the kingdom of God would come uh, as people were more obedient to the Torah, to the, the law, to the first five books of the Bible. They were a small, uh, relatively small, but, but uh, respected group, somewhat radical in their views. Um, they took the law very seriously. This is what they were known for. So seriously, in fact, that they added a bunch of extra rules and regulations around God's law in order to obey it better. Right? They said, hey, we, we want to keep the Sabbath. We don't want to work on the Sabbath. What does work mean? Well, it means probably if you carry water this far, that's work. So we're, you can't carry water farther than this. Uh, you can't uh, you know, pull an animal out of a ditch on the Sabbath. You can't do, and they added all these regulations and rules around law because they wanted to make sure they were obeying. We see much conflict in the Gospels between the Pharisees and Jesus, and that can, I think, lead us to uh, just see them as evil, these evil people. Like, no, no, they don't, don't, that's not how they would have been known then. They, they were actually looked upon with admiration. Right? I wish I could follow the law like a Pharisee. Wow. Now, why, why are they all here? Why are they listening to Jesus? That's an interesting question. It's a small group, but it says they're there from all over, right? So Judea, Galilee, even from Jerusalem, the center of, uh, of Jewish life. But this, this, this itinerant preacher has attracted their attention. They're all gathered to see him. Why? Well, let's think about what's already happened. Jesus has been baptized by John. A strange man doing strange things in the wilderness who garnered a lot of attention Right, he had a powerful ministry as he baptized people, as he preached repentance. Right, a lot of people thought John was the Messiah. That was a rumor, a rumor circulating. But John denied it explicitly, and he actually endorsed Jesus and Jesus' ministry by baptizing Jesus. And the Pharisees heard reports, so they'd heard reports of a dove descending, of a voice from heaven when he was baptized. That's weird. Then... Jesus shows up teaching the law and the prophets, just like them, right? But they're hearing, as we saw back in chapter four, that he teaches with authority and not as the scribes and the, and the other teachers of the law. There's something unique in his authority and how he speaks about the, the, the Torah. This would certainly have interested the Pharisees, right? Man, maybe this guy, he could be an asset or he could be a threat depending on his message, then they begin to hear not only that he teaches with authority, but that he does miracles. He's praying for the sick and they're healed. He's casting demons out of troubled people. There were two unexplainable boatloads of fish. He touches lepers and they're cleansed. And he did then go tell them to wash and go to the temple like the law. Maybe he is a Torah guy. Maybe he does respect the law after all. They're hearing all these things. He exercises authority not only in teaching, but over sickness, over demons, over nature. So all this draws them in to see Jesus. And they've got to be wondering, who is, who is this guy? What's his angle? What's his agenda? Is he an ally? Is he a threat? Let, let's check him out. Now, they're sitting there listening to his teaching in the midst of a large crowd it's impossible to find Jesus without a crowd around him at this point. 
Uh, he, he is, he's popular. People start to gather wherever he is, and he starts teaching them. He has just kind of this unlimited compassion for the people. It's warm. It's dusty. People are crammed into this, this small house and spilling out of it. The Pharisees are all listening closely, trying to judge his character, his motives, his message. It says the Lord's power to heal was with Jesus, was in Jesus that day. Perhaps they'd already seen some people heal. They'd already seen some demons cast out. We don't know. And there's a commotion above them, above Jesus from the roof. Now, the roof was generally flat and open in in this uh, time, like a second-story patio. So it wasn't strange that people were on the roof, but it was strange that people were coming through the roof. Uh, the, the mud, the plaster, the clay tiles were being removed and dug through to make a hole big enough for a stretcher to come down through. They watched Jesus respond to all the commotion. Right? We don't know how he responded, but we can assume that he handled it well with, with patience, with grace. He didn't stop them from lowering the man down. When the stretcher was finally lowered, they saw it was a paralyzed man. His atrophied leg muscles and limp posture gave it away. There's a moment of silence after the dust settled and the man rested on the floor in front of Jesus. The Pharisees must have been interested in what Jesus would say. Would he, would he help the man? Would he heal him? Would, would he get on to him for interrupting his teaching? Jesus looked up at the friend's and then down at the man and said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, this about sends a Pharisee's brain into a tailspin. Right? That, that's not what they expect him to say. Further, that's heresy. This is blasphemy. Their blood pressure rises immediately. Their necks get hot. Their chests get tight with anxiety. Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? They say, who can forgive sins but God alone? They're thinking this in their minds. Now, before we bash them, this is, this is an orthodox thing to think. It's a true thing to think. Right? Because all sin is against God. Only God can forgive sin because all sin is against him. Right? If I, in the church office, if I go steal John's candy... Um, and, then, and then Kevin comes up to me and says, Lawson, I forgive you for stealing John's candy. That's silly, right? Because uh, why? I didn't sin against Kevin. I sinned against, I sinned against John. It was good candy. I don't know. I just couldn't help myself. I'm just kidding. I didn't steal, I didn't steal your candy, John. Uh, right? Why? Well, he, you know, he, John's the one who should forgive me because he's the one I sinned against. And we certainly should seek forgiveness from the people we, we sin against. But according to the Bible, all sin is ultimately against our creator. It's against God. I think of David in Psalm 51. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what's evil in your sight. God made us. He has a right to us. And we rebelled against him. So he's the one who has to forgive. The Pharisees know this. Right? And there's also, the Pharisees know, a way to seek that forgiveness. The temple Right? Just like Moses said, you take your sacrifice, you go to the temple, the animal's killed, the blood's spread on the altar, and your sins are forgiven. 
This is biblical. This is how it's always been done since Moses. And all of a sudden, this upstart rabbi is just stating, your sins are forgiven. It's madness. Right? He's claiming to speak with the authority of God. Now, Jesus pulls their brains out of the tailspin with a surprising question. Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Thinking what? <laughs> um, right, which, which is easier to say? Jesus says, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Imagine a skeptical Pharisee thinking, well, the one's heresy, the other's impossible. I'm not sure which one's easier to say for you. Jesus says, but, but so you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now he looks back at the paralyzed man. I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher, go home. And the man gets up, picks up the stretcher he was lying on, and walks out the door. Now let's think about the paralyzed man and his friends. Luke doesn't tell us how many friends this paralyzed man had, um, how many brought him, but Mark says that four friends carried the stretcher, which is about how many you'd need. Uh, so that makes sense. So, so it was at least four. We don't know much about these friends, uh, but from what we do know, you want some friends like this. <laughs> these are the friends you want. Uh, how might this have happened? These friends, perhaps they're childhood friends. All right, maybe they'd known the man since before the tragic accident. Perhaps if he was lame from birth, we didn't, we're not sure uh, how, how long this, this, uh, he was paralyzed. Uh, they, perhaps they'd grown up with him in the same, they were childhood friends, they'd grown up in the same village. They began to hear news of a teacher from Nazareth, of all places, who's healing people. All kinds of sickness, a fever, leprosy, all, all, all kinds of demons and diseases. Maybe when they first hear it, the paralyzed friend says, hey, don't get your hopes up, guys. I, you know, we've tried this before. Like, nothing really helps. But Jesus is getting more and more popular. And pretty soon, daily, they're just hearing about this. Everyone's talking about this new teacher, this rabbi. Um, they're even meeting people who've seen him heal, right? They're saying, they're, they're, yeah, I saw it happen. I saw the leper. He touched him. He was fine. It was amazing. The friends start to hope. Maybe if we can get our friend Jesus, he can heal. They hear Jesus is in the area and decide they want to go. Maybe the paralyzed man tries to hold him off. It's too much trouble, guys. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But surely he was grateful and happy that they would want to try. And so they set off. We, we don't know how far they had to go, uh, but really any distance carrying a man on a stretcher is a very long way. They get to the house where Jesus is. The way's blocked by tons of people. They send, they set, set him down, send one of their friends to scout it out. Is there any way through? No can do. Not with a stretcher. One friend spots steps up the back of the house and says, I have an idea. They go up the back steps onto the roof. We're going through the roof, guys. We can't go through the roof. This is somebody's house. Right, maybe the paralyzed guy said, hey guys, it's okay. We can come back another time. Knowing that there would not be another time. Right. No, Jesus can heal him. I know he can. We're going through the roof. They're like, all right. All right. And they're like, okay, where was he standing? It looked like he was in the back corner. Okay, let's go over there. We're going to dig right here. They start working. Start removing tiles, digging through the material. 
I think the paralyzed guy is just laying there on the stretcher watching them dig. How long did it take? As they work, the friends try not to make eye contact with anyone below, afraid that it might be the homeowner. They get the hole big enough and rig a way to lower their friend through it. They slowly bring him down, trying not to jolt or dump him. And after he hits the ground, they peer through the hole and things get very quiet. Jesus looks up at them and then back at their paralytic friend and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now this puzzles the friends. Maybe they expected, friend, rise and walk. But they wait. Jesus starts talking to some people in the crowd. They can't quite make it out. But then they see him look back at their friend and say, get up, take up your stretcher and go home. And wonder of wonders, their friend's legs start wiggling. And they can't believe it, but, but the one they carried all that way on the stretcher gets up, looks up at them with the biggest smile on his face, and carries the stretcher out of the house. You want friends like that. And isn't it interesting that it, Jesus, it says Jesus saw their faith As a friend, what, what can you do to get your friends to Jesus? You just got to get them there. He'll take care of the rest. Now, let's think about Jesus and from his perspective. Jesus is in full ministry mode, right? He, he's often withdrawing, um, right? Just in verse 16, just before this passage, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. So he's often getting alone late at night through the night or early in the morning. He goes out by himself to be with the father. He, he needs that and he loves to be with his father. And then his days are full. He's traveling from place to place. He's teaching, he's helping people. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God, releasing people from oppression as his father has, has tasked him to do. As you read from Isaiah a few weeks ago, we saw. He's in Capernaum and he's doing it. He's, he's preaching to this packed house. The Pharisees are there, he knows. A lot of them are the words getting around about what's going on. He's aware of the people there to hear his message and receive his help. He's also aware of these self-righteous religious elite who are there just checking him out. The sermon is going well, right? He, everyone's hanging on his every word. The lights are coming on for many. Then there's a scraping noise on the roof above him. Now, those of you who are teachers will know this. Um, when, when there's a distraction, when you're preaching or teaching, there's a distraction. Um, there's only a couple things you can do. There's only a couple responses. The best thing is when you can just ignore it and act like it doesn't happen, it's not happening, and just keep on, right? And, and it will stop. That's the best thing, because if you acknowledge a small distraction, it makes it a, a big distraction, right? Uh, but th there, there becomes a time uh, when, when a distraction gets big enough that it's more distracting not to address it than to address it, right? And so at that point, you, you, you know, acknowledge it, respond to it, and then the best thing is to just get back on point. That's, that's generally what you would do. So, we, you know, maybe at first Jesus heard the scratching and he just acted like nothing was happening. He acted like he didn't hear it. Um, but pretty soon... Uh, you know, the debris coming down, light starting to stream through the hole. It's getting bigger and bigger. I mean, everyone would be looking at the ceiling. Uh, at some point, he had to address it. 
He had to address it. And then I don't know, what, what do you do in this scenario? And maybe he just waited quietly for them to finish. Uh, maybe he told little friendly jokes to ease the tension. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, the paralyzed man is before him. He's on the ground. Jesus sees the man. Right? Not, not as we see him, but as God sees him. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God sees the heart. Jesus, aware of the crowds, aware of the Pharisees looking on skeptically, aware of the needy man before him, aware of his father's gaze and the spirit of healing that was in him, aware of the friends above, full of faith, looking down, says these words, friend, your sins are forgiven. He senses the shock and animosity from the Pharisees. And so he decides to address it directly. Why are you thinking this in your hearts? He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher, go home. Power went out from Jesus into the man's legs. He was made strong. He was made whole. He got up and went out glorifying God, which must have made Jesus really glad to see. Lastly, the crowd. The crowd. And this is last because I think the crowd is us. We know this is a big crowd. A lot of people packed in the house, out the door, Everyone's trying to be in earshot. Everyone wants to get a glimpse of this teacher. You've likely been in a, in a packed house or a packed out concert or church service uh, when, when everyone's really excited to be there. There's an electricity in the air. You watch all this unfold. You feel like you're watching history. Such amazing things have been swirling around Jesus. He's been doing such, uh, such amazing and, and he's such an impressive teacher. You're puzzled as Jesus pauses in his teaching, noticing the hole in the roof beginning to form. You're annoyed, maybe, at first, uh, until it becomes clear what these lunatics are doing digging through the roof. And then you think, it's a paralyzed man. I'm gonna see him heal somebody. Then the anticlimax of Jesus' first words, your sins are forgiven. That's a strange thing for a rabbi to say. Then as you watch the tension of Jesus addressing the Pharisees and, and when Jesus looks at the man back at the par paralytic, the hair rises on your neck when he says, I tell you, get up, take up your stretcher and go home. And the man does. Everyone, it says, was astounded. And I bet so. You step out of the way to let the man walk by with his stretcher. You're so amazed and you praise God saying, we've seen amazing things today. We're like the crowd. We get to watch these events unfold in the text this morning. They had the advantage of, of being there that morning or that afternoon, seeing these things take place in the flesh 
And they responded, I think appropriately, with awe and wonder. I wish I could have been there to see it, don't you? We, however, I think have an even greater vantage point because we've seen all this and we've seen all of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. We know more about this man and what he came to do than anyone in the crowd in that, in that packed house could have imagined that day. And so our response, I think, can't just be awe and wonder, though that's the start of it. I believe it needs to be more. The question of this passage, the question of the Gospels, perhaps the most important question of your life and of mine is the same question the Pharisees ask. Who is this man? Luke has shown us that Jesus has authority as a teacher. He has authority to cast out demons. He has authority over disease and sickness. He has authority over nature. But here he shows us something new. Jesus has authority to, on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is interested in healing folks. Right? He did it then, he still does it today. But healing here wasn't permanent. This man, right, this, this lame man who was healed, he grew old, right? he got sick. His legs stopped working again in his life and he died. If Jesus heals you today, it's the same. You, you will still grow old, get sick, and die. Which is why this healing matters so much. It wasn't just a flex of Jesus' power. It was a sign. It's what Jesus says. I have authority on earth to forgive sins. If my word can make this man walk, my word can make a sinner forgiven. And that's good news because this man's main problem was not his paralysis. It was his sin. Your main problem isn't your particular suffering, your particular ailment, the tough financial situation that you're in, the people around you making your life difficult. It's your sin. If you don't know Jesus, your sin, your rebellion against a holy God is what, even if all the external problems in your life are miraculously fixed in a moment today, still separates you from the Father, from life itself. And that's why the question, who is this man, is so important. Some people think Jesus is just a good teacher, but as C.S. Lewis pointed out, Jesus doesn't leave us that option. This this passage is a good example of that. Read the Gospels honestly, and you have to realize who Jesus claimed to be. Here he calls himself, for the first time in Luke, the Son of Man. This is his favorite way to describe himself. It's, It's a phrase from Daniel. It's a messianic term. He's saying, I'm the Son of Man, and I have authority to speak for God and to forgive sin. Someone who says that is either a liar or they're crazy or it's true and they're the Lord and they can forgive sin. Who is this man? Who do you think that he is? 
Because if Jesus is in fact God, if he did in fact die on the cross, a brutal death in our place for our sin, if he rose in power, showing that sin and Satan's hold has been broken, if he ascended to the Father and lives forever to intercede for us, then when he says, your sins are forgiven, you can be certain that they are. At the end of Luke, after Jesus rose from the dead, he said this to his disciples, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so in the name of Jesus and by his authority and power, I wanna say to those of you who have not repented, who have not turned from your sin, Repent. Turn from your rebellion. Give up the fight. You cannot win. It does not lead to life. Why will you die? Why will you go your own way? Why will you not accept the love of someone who who will love you unconditionally? Who is this man, the savior of the world? The only one who can forgive sins. And he offers you to come today. You can come to him and be forgiven. And for those of us who are his, those of you who have repented of your sin, who do repent, who have turned to your savior, whatever's going on in your life, Can I say to you, in in the authority of Christ, by his spirit, your sins are forgiven. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven, redeemed, reconciled, justified, sanctified. You belong to him and he belongs to you forever and ever. There's no news like this. He's taken on the great enemies of your soul. He has stomped on the head of the serpent. He has wrestled death to the grave. We have nothing to fear. We have a message of freedom to share and we have a bright future ahead of us. Because who is this man? He's Jesus. He's the savior of the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, where we have um, distorted views of you, views of you more based on our personalities and our histories and our upbringing and our preferences, then based on your word, would you confront us with those? Would you reform those? Would you renovate those, uh, those things out of our life? <laughs> would we see you for who you are? Would you reveal yourself clearly to each person in this room? Jesus, for, for those who uh, in here who don't know you, who haven't repented of their sin, who don't want to,
I pray that you would forgive them. You would forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. You would turn them to you. I pray for our neighbors, for our relatives, for our coworkers, for our friends who don't know you, that you would forgive their sins. You're the only one who can. You would reach out in mercy and you would touch them. And by your kindness, you'd bring them to repentance. Lord, where you can use us, do it. Use us for that. Jesus, thank you for taking care of our main problem, for reconciling us to yourself, Lord. We have so many questions that are unanswered. We have so many, there's so many mysteries that we can't plumb the depths of. There's so much things, many things we don't know. We're so limited and you're so big. You know everything. So thank you for revealing this to us, that you love us, that you've forgiven us. Jesus, powerful name. I pray and ask these things. Amen.